0: On today's podcast, we take a look at the media business with Brian Curtis, who's one of the most thoughtful um, guys in media. So we're just going to talk shop with him, and we'll do uh, a little longer life advice with Kyle. It's the Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA final starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved QuickBets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Bi. It's Wonder Water. So I was wondering what made Bi so great. And it's actually pretty simple. Buy has antioxidants, electrolytes, and no artificial sweeteners. And the flavors are delicious. For me, it has to be Bi Zambia Bing cherry. So for flavorful hydration, choose buy. It's Wonder Water. Learn more about Buy and discover all of the exotic, bold flavors at drinkbuy.com. He is the best asker of questions I think we have in the business right now. His name is Brian Curtis from The Ringer. Uh, He covers really a lot of things, but his Press Box podcast is terrific on media, so I just want to hang out with him for a bit. What's going on? Let's hang, man. How are you? I'm good. That's that's not one of your stronger questions, but I
1: appreciate it. You set me up and then I just flopped immediately
0: (laughs) okay uh (laughs) yeah i love your fascination with this this world so i felt like this was a bit more evergreen with it uh i wanted to start with the super bowl even though it's now in the past from the time we've taped this to when it's actually going to air Uh, because it wasn't just about the broadcast right it isn't just about the broadcast it's this world of these moving pieces the Troy and Joe Buck moved to ESPN. It's ESPN going, okay, we finally need to figure it out for their own motivations to get a Super Bowl. And then Fox is like, what are we going to do? Then they announced this massive contract for Brady. The numbers have gone out of control. I was even bringing it up based on the Romo Nance stuff. And Nance is sitting there going, I guess I'm just not going to ask for more money publicly, which I thought was sort of funny. <laughs> and he's like, I'm just bad at it. They know I never want to leave CBS, so you're right. So you have Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson that have this incredible season. You know, like I'm thinking about it, ESPN's probably watching it thinking, we could have just stumbled into this and, then <laughs> and solved our problems. But yet Olson's keeping the seat warm for Brady, who's never done the job. And then he's like, I don't think I even want to do it in 23. I'll do it in 24. This is a very, I don't know that anyone cares about it as much as maybe people that are in it. But we are in a very weird transitional time and I wonder how it'll be remembered.
1: Can I back up one transition with you to 2020 when sure. Tony Romo is having this crazy free agency and Monday Night Football is looking at Tony Romo goes, there's a way to solve our problem that we've had for years and years. We're going to hire him. Tony Romo winds up getting, we know, 17 million from CBS. Somebody at Fox told me in that moment, this is not retroactive. They said, there's one lesson for us here, which is, We need to have a number two guy who's really good so we don't get ransomed by our number one guy like CBS did. That was the lesson inside the building. And if you look back at this, the next thing Fox does is let Charles Davis, who was number two, go to CBS and they hire Greg Olson as their broadcasting insurance policy. And it works, right? Greg Olson turned out to be really, really good. Then Fox did a weird thing and went and gave Tom Brady $37 million. (laughs) So, you know, whether that was how that worked out is, is, is up to debate. But I thought what was so fascinating about this is this is exactly what they wanted to happen. They wanted Olsen to come in, get some reps on the number two squad and be there so that if Troy said, I need more money, they could be like, okay, this guy, that to me is the first key step in this whole process. Okay, Um, I
0: I already love where this is going, okay? Because you're being told we need Olsen so we can always have a two in case we lose our one. They have a two who's likely going to be very capable as a one, and it's like, now let's go hire the one (laughs) who's never done it before. Now, I'm going to tell you what an executive at ESPN told me one time. Um, Again, over the years, later on, I was lucky enough, despite whatever my own frustrations were is I'd be like, why are we doing this? Like, what's going on here? And I'd get an executive, you know, Skipper used to pull me aside. We'd have our meetings once every eight months. And he was, he was very, you know, revealing and he was open and honest with me about a lot of stuff. Uh, there was a different executive where I remember he was telling me a story about trying to hire Kevin Garnett. And I was like, okay, are are you sure? Like, are you sure it's going to be like, do you know, it's going to work? He said, well, The problem is, he goes, we have so many of these athletes that are big names now from this generation that have banked so much money that guess what they don't want to do? They don't want to be doing highlights till 2 a.m. They don't want to be doing afternoons in Bristol, you know, recapping some stuff. Maybe if they have bigger picture goals, but like a lot of people just do it to do something else. And they're not thinking like the Nate Burleson path of like five moves ahead. Right. Which is very clear of what he was doing. And so you have guys that have a ton of money in the bank. They have a status where like, I don't want to do all this shit. So it's why, you know, Jason Witten out of nowhere has Monday Night Football, right? And he's going to get paid a big number. Because I remember when I was asking about Garnett, I was like, how did that work out? And it was like, look, he immediately told us, like, I'm not doing weekends. We're like, okay. I'm like, and I'm not <laughs> doing this. I was like, okay. Mm. And then I need this much money. <laughs> it was like, okay, like, I know. And then I would think, and I'd said to him, I go, why do you even put yourself in that position? Like you're not even sure if the person's any good or not. And it speaks to the audience gets what we actually want. We don't want the great broadcaster with the lesser name. We want the huge, huge star, even if they're not as good as the lesser name thing. And I think, unfortunately, that's kind of what the Greg Olson storyline is teaching us, is that here's somebody who's completely capable of locking us in. I still don't know how many people change the channel because of the announcers, But yet, you know, whether it was an Emmett Smith who probably wasn't entirely ready to be on TV as much as he was, he wasn't going to not do the featured countdown show, right? He was going to do the big boy seat. He was going to get what he wanted. Because the audience wants big stars, and yet then when the person is in the job, it's like this cycle of what do you actually want? Do you want someone who's awesome at it, or you default to kind of just trusting and having huge names out there, which is, I think, what programmers ultimately always do, because that's what the audience always wants. I saw Emmett on Radio Row and was remembering
1: the ESPN years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when Emmett was a talking head, that was that was fun. Um, I think you're absolutely right. but. I also understand this from the programming perspective. Don't you want to hire the really big names and figure it out? Like if the question is, do we want to see if Tom Brady can be a good broadcaster? Shouldn't, shouldn't we know? Shouldn't we give it a whirl? Maybe it turns out like Joe Montana did in the eighties where everybody's like, nope, not the guy, not the next John Madden. But you know, look, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm as a, somebody who does this job. I'm like, I want the best broadcast. Doesn't matter if it's a tight end or if it's a quarterback who won seven Super Bowls, but I also understand that this is showbiz and it's the entertainment business. And Tom Brady, as an announcer, there's I want to see if he's good at this job and what
0: he's like calling big games on Sunday afternoons. I still think there's more on this, so I'm going to stay with it. Um, it's got to be incredibly frustrating, obviously, to the the lesser resume player, right? Like, wait, I'm I'm doing this job. I'm I'm awesome at it. And yet you already have a replacement for me. Um it's it's a bit of a gamble, but like I'm even thinking like back to the Musburger days towards the end at ESPN. When he greeted you on Saturday night for a college football game, it felt like a huge deal. And even Musburger admitted he had lost his fastball a bit. He's like, I'm not, you know, I'm only doing last names or whatever. So even if there were little mistakes where he wasn't peak him or Crisp, and you can't expect somebody to be at the peak as long as he was doing it, but it felt like a bigger deal. And I wondered even if in the Super Bowl there were moments where it was like, wait, am I, am I thinking this isn't Joe Buck and Troy because they're not as good? Or is it just a very simple thing of like, well, it's Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, so it, these guys are awesome, like they're, and they are, right? It, this, it's almost like going to a movie where you think, hey, I don't know any of these actors, but this movie was really good, or a movie where you love the actors. You're like, does this movie suck, but these guys are huge stars, so I'm kind of tricking myself into believing that this is a big deal, and I think that's all part of the formula in trying to figure this out and why we have the decisions that we do absolutely uh, true. I got
1: two takes for you on that. One is Brent and Al and even Joe and Troy become big stars in a very, very different media universe in the network era of American TV. And if you were on television, if you were calling football games on Sunday, you were just a star on a different level. So I do wonder if somebody like Kevin Burkhardt who's getting his first really, really big job in twenty twenty two, and same thing with Greg Olson, if you're just ever gonna hit that level, not because you're not good, not because you don't, you know, you're not as you don't have the stature of those guys, but just because you're coming on TV at a totally different time. I mean, look at Chris Collinsworth, whose resume as a player is fairly similar to Olson's, played two Super Bowls, like he's been on network television since nineteen ninety. You know, like he got this whole era when Alf was a big TV show (laughs) because it was on NBC And, and he just, you just get this weight to you that I just wonder if these guys will ever get again. So that's, that's, that's take number one. Number two on, on whether they felt big is when I watched that broadcast, I think if you and I could crawl into those guys heads, it was two guys who were doing their first super bowl and going you know what let's call a great game let's do what we do but let's not put super heavy fingerprints on this let's not try to make this our thing like we would if we're joe and troy right now or even mike Tarico, again who's been on tv since the early 90s and chris collinsworth let's sit back a little let's let's be really good but let's not Make this a Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson broadcast to the extent we might if we'd been on TV five to ten years. That's just my psychoanalysis, but I think I'm right. Yeah,
0: you no, know, there this isn't it's almost like me trying to find the path to come to the conclusion that I'm just going to share with you now is that you can think as an audience member, you can think that you know what you want, but ultimately the television executives make the decisions that provide us with what deep down we really do want. Like you could be a football fan who goes, no, 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 I want all the X's and O's. I don't care if you're a backup linebacker. I want, I I just want the best possible broadcast. But I think the default of the audience is almost always, the majority of the audience goes, who the fuck's this guy? And it doesn't matter (laughs) how great of a job he's doing. It's just a sip, like I think the audience whether it's the way we are talked to by public figures, whether it's movies, whether it's television shows, and in sports broadcasting, I think the majority ends up getting what they actually want. And that these decisions, especially as somebody who's on air, you know, you walking around and he's being like, what the fuck are we doing? Like, how, why do we do that? That doesn't make any fucking sense. What we? No, that's, that's the wrong take. That's the wrong. It is not the business. And the business is ultimately doing the right thing, even if it feels like over the last few years, there's so many people going, why are these, why are these networks doing all of these things? The networks are giving us exactly deep down what we actually want. So what you're
1: saying is if we get a truly bad number one team or an unworthy number one team, the network's really screwed up because there's a certain acceptance of the audience. Like, okay, it's the number one team. I'll roll with these guys. In some case, I don't even know who these guys are. So, if it's something that just feels really,
0: really wrong, then somebody actually did screw up deeply at the network level. That would be the way we label it. Like, I've brought this analogy up too many times, but it's Carl Anthony Towns, Christoph Prisingas. There were teams that thought Prisingas was just as talented as Towns. It's like if you draft Prisingas and you're wrong, you get fired. If you draft Towns one and you're wrong, it's like, well, whatever. He was a guy from Kentucky and he was huge and he could shoot. Um, if you're going to be wrong, At the highest level don't try to be different (laughs) which is why you know i would watch like i I, not to beat up on emmett smith here emmett smith was only taking the highest profile gig i also felt like there are times espn had so many and this is me trying to be fair to espn is that i'd ask sometimes like what's going on with this and they'd be like you know we kind of just throw them in head first and see if they can swim there was very little coaching i felt like but there was also way more people. When you think about the actual number of former athletes and non-athletes of all the people that are on air at ESPN, that number is so massive in comparison to the networks where, you know, they have these retreats once a year and it's like a really f- like family style deal. Like they can invite it like everybody's there because it's such a smaller number. So I think there can be more coaching. I think there's more attention to the specific talent um, where at ESPN is kind of like if you drowned, you drowned. And we'll just replace you in two years. And when I thought about like Emmett, and you know, I thought Jerry Rice actually got better later on. Um, You know, I felt bad for Witten, but I mean, we had him on this podcast years ago, and that was like a depressing episode because he was just like, you know, this ended up kind of really sucking. You know, it it didn't work out. Um, but what are you like? What are you going to say to Emmett Smith? Hey, we're going to have you do. we're gonna have you do like wraps we're gonna get you warm you know for a year <laughs> we're gonna have you do some some sunbelt games mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, like he's just like no I'm gonna count my money in golf and I'll see you guys on Sunday I'm not doing any of those other things
1: <laughs> I think the coaching part is really underrated in this and I think Fox is really good at coaching people up the fact that Charles Davis is the number two guy on CBS that Fox's number one announcers are the number one guys on ESPN, the Fox now has two new number one announcers, and everybody's like, "Well, those, those guys are really good." Um, Kevin Burkhardt, who'd never done national stuff, and Olson, who was straight off the playing field.
0: Yeah, and then Joe Davis on the baseball side replacing Buck. That guy's like a, I mean, he's phenomenal. You know, so there's like a talent spotting part of that, but there's also a thing of like,
1: what if we can turn somebody into a really good announcer? What if we get guys who are toolsy to use the baseball prospect word? But we can kind of coach him up. And to me, that's the interesting lesson from Olsen here. Is it, you know, that Olsen should go and replace Collinsworth in a few years at NBC because everybody wants to turn every announcing story into a Woj bomb? Maybe. Okay. But is the other story that there are just more of these guys out there than we think there are? And you can find them. And you can turn him into number one announcer. Everybody's like talking about, what's Greg Olson going to do with his future? Well, that, I guess that's interesting. You know who's going to retire in two years? Aaron Rodgers. You think he has any interest in being an announcer? I do. I do. I, well, he, he, he really a-
0: wanted that Jeopardy gig. He, he, he practiced.
1: <laughs> he did. You know, you think he wants to give his opinion about football on TV for lots of money? Yeah, I do. So I just think there's a bigger universe these dudes. And if you have the right producers, the
0: right infrastructure, the family thing you're talking about, maybe it can happen. Okay, you hit on something else I want to follow up. Do you think there are actually a large number of people out there that can do this? Maybe the question is this, maybe I'm answering it, so I apologize, but maybe it's that, yeah, there's a lot of people that can do it. There's very few people that can do it at that elite level. And that's why everybody's freaked out the last couple of years. I think there's more than five is what I would say. I think we treated it in the last couple of years
1: like there are five people that can do this job. Hey, here's $17 million, man. We got to hold, we got to hold on to you. We we need you so badly. We can't grow our own talent. Whereas I bet there's at least 10 to 15 people that could step in with, you know, some or minimal coaching and do a really good job. Absolutely. Does any of this matter? To the viewers? Hell no. Yeah. You know what was the most important thing about that Super Bowl? You know, I could nerd out about, you know, Olsen coming back on a replay and explaining an RPO or explaining short motion of Travis Kelsey on that first Eagles drive or the first uh, Chiefs drive. You know what was important? It was a close game. That's what mattered to Fox. That's why that number was so huge. You had a game with big stars and it was really close.
0: That's what matters at the end of the day. (laughs) so I guess the follow us, then why, why, why go through all of this? Why I'm happy everybody's making all the money that they're making, by the way, there's not a, there's not a moment where there's people I may not even like on the air and I'll be like, great, keep driving the prices up. (laughs) Okay. But think about what we're saying. This, this, Musical chairs. They do. They have enough depth. They're giving Brady all. They're doing all these things, and all of us would say. And anybody was like, "Do you even really care?" Maybe it's a bit like officiating, where you notice it when it's bothering you, or it becomes something on social media, but it hasn't. It doesn't actually impact the decision of what you're going to consume ever.
1: I would say a couple of things to that. One is the guys who produce these games want them to be really good. Like their whole thing is not, hey, we're just going to roll out generic pro football product today and everybody's going to watch it because it's pro football. Like they want it to be really good. So of course they want the best guys. And if the price of the best guys is $17 million, then of course they want the networks to pay them. No, that's that's part of it. Um, There's a certain face of the network aspect to it. To go back to how network television has changed, when you and I were growing up, there was an entertainment division, and there was a news division, and there was a sports division. Sports was often number three of those. And there were people in all three of those that were huge faces of the network. Entertainment and network TV is does not exist, basically. Uh, news barely exists. And sports is the big thing. So I think what some of these dudes are surfing off of is I'm the face of the network now. I'm this, I'm, I'm it, right? If you're watching CBS or NBC live, it's because of the thing that I am calling. And you're right. Maybe you'd watch just as much if somebody else was calling it, but I am a bigger part of the network now than I have ever been before. Just because of the way
0: the media's changed, the whole world's changed. It does feel like it's, you know, here's the poster. Here's Joe and Troy at an upfront. Here's Tom Brady shaking hands. A couple events a year. I feel like there's a baked-in value that you can't exactly say, "Hey, this is the number. This is what this number means." And once the Romo number happened, then you knew it was just going to follow. You know, it's a, it's a bit like the NBA where the cap went up that year, and it was just like, "All right, whatever. <laughs> like whatever the new number is, this is the new number." But there's that's the value part of it that, you know, maybe ESPN felt like in the years of, of trying to just figure it out and not being able to get it right for a bunch of different reasons. And, I, you know, this isn't a, a spot where I, I feel like I want to call out different people or because you know, that's not really what I want to do. And some of these people I'm friends with. But I think the ESPN price is a bit like, OK, we enough of this, enough of this. Like, let's have something where there's no doubt and we don't care because now whatever our number is, the number is just solving the problem.
1: And I would say the same thing for Fox when they announced the Brady thing. Just lost our two big guys to ESPN. Let's get a press release that says we just hired Tom Brady. Not only to announce NFL games to be, but to be this ambassador to the network. And that wasn't that the word they used? Who was going to be like Mr. Fox? I was just imagining him like ripping off the head on the masked singer every week. Can we get Tom Brady back again? Just one more time. That's it's it's absolutely a poster. It's a press release. It's, you know, we this is what we mean as a network now in this
0: changing world. Yeah, and you could also say if the rights fees keep going up and up and up, then everything associated with it goes up and up. And um, you know, money. Maybe this is too much about money. I don't care, but you know, like I worry about so many former colleagues and and people that I was really close with. When I look at the live rights numbers, which will, you know, I don't know when that bubble is going to happen. I don't know if it is. You know, maybe maybe there's some tapering off at some point, but it's it's not. It doesn't feel like it's anytime soon. And with the expense, it, it feels a bit like the investment for the on air part is that we've got our small group of heavy hitters because we have so many more expenses which again they're raising their own you know the price of their own product which is airtime but then it maybe cuts out this middle class you know i know nobody's going to cry over the sports center acre making less or, or whatever but you know there was this lane of jobs that was always there that was a really good life and if you were one of the special ones you could then you know maybe become like a guy, right? Really become a, a franchise person. And now that franchise person feels like being associated to the biggest live rights package, being one of the handful of biggest opinion people in the country, and then kind of filler everywhere else, which is not the way it was not that long ago. No, both on
1: ESPN and network TV back in the day. Jack A Root was a big star. I mean, we, we were making big stars out of everybody. You could be the pit guy at the indie race and you'd be kind of a big star. I've, and I've wondered that question too. It's like, where is this money coming from? If live rights go up like this, if your talent for NFL, your biggest games go up like this, it's going to come from somewhere. It's not like networks, oh, we're just going to pay everybody else the same amount of money. And you're right, middle class gets squeezed. Those are the, those people who really good had a really nice job for a long time. That's the job that sort of goes away or gets really, really reduced in price.
0: Yeah, it's still a good job. It's still a good life. But the ceiling, I don't think, is there for you the way it was easily 10 years ago. I would argue less than 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and that ESPN, you know, that's part of like daily programming is just different
1: than it was 10 years ago. So you're right. You're going to pay Joe and Troy. You're going to pay Stephen A. You're going to pay SVP. And then you're going to have this whole group of people that
0: still would have existed at ESPN at different stages, and they're just not. It's just not going to be the same. No, and it was already happening. And I'm not even saying that it's wrong. It's just a pivot. It's you know, there's plenty of industries it's like I remember how valuable this person was, you know. And it's like okay, like you have a you have a stockbroker, you know, you have somebody you're checking when in with all the time, not to say the stockbrokers are, but you get the point. Like that was something. When kids were going to college, when I was graduating, being like, "I want to be a stockbroker," it's like, "Oh wow, that, that sounds interesting. It can be around money." Uh, Jackaroot, quick anecdote: When I was bartending, trying to get just talking out loud, trying to trying to be somebody who was like, "Yeah, I think I want to get into sports. I think I want to do this." We had a regular it was like, "You know, Jackaroo's my cousin,"
2: <laughs>
0: and you're so and you're so desperate for any kind of like, kind of you're trying to break into the business. Like, "Oh really? I'd love to pick his brain." He's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Never happened. Can you bring him in here? <laughs> yeah. But I'll never forget Jackaroo. Not that I would have, but there was, there was this like glimmer of hope I had that night when I'm serving this guy beers. He's like, oh, you want to get into sports? You know, Jackaroo's my cousin. I was like, okay. Lookout world. <laughs> I love that you had a Jackaroo
1: nugget. There you go. Oh, I love the uh, show. I can go anywhere and you've got a
2: nugget.
0: Changed my life. They taught me to want. They taught me the taste of anticipation. There's no wrong way to eat a French fry from McDonald's. Unless you're eating my French fries. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. Why do you love Radio Row so much? It's the ultimate
1: power ranking of celebrity and how much you're worth. We power rank everything. People like us, well, once in a while we look at those podcast rankings. You know? How popular am I? <laughs> On Radio Row, they just line you up. Like, you know, if people don't know, the better interview slots are later in the week as you get closer to the Super Bowl. Thursday is kind of the peak because that's a big night for Super Bowl parties. So your NFL starting quarterbacks wanna wanna come in. So it's the job of every PR person to bring somebody in on the right day. If you're Solomon Wilcots, speaking of network guys, Monday, you're Monday guy. That's your day. If you are Clark Hunt, Clark Hunt, the owner of the Kansas City Chiefs, the tro- one of the trophies named after your dad, you're Tuesday guy. You know, that's not bad. Stephen A., ooh, Thursday. You are Thursday. And you were going to fill up on Thursday. I just, and to me, there's just something that is so raw about that. It's just out there. We don't have to pretend, you know, that, oh, is he good or is he better? No, no, there's a ranking. And that's part of what I love about it. So you love it. You'll always love it. Yeah. I mean, I, I would, <laughs> I don't know how many more radio road diaries the ringer is going to publish, but I would just love to do that every single year. I, I was talking Talking to Paul Pabst, to produce the Dan Patrick show, and he's, oh, we got you know we're out of the Giants facility. You should have come out. I'm like, yeah, maybe next year, maybe maybe that's my bit.
0: Speaking of face of the network, there was a story where they installed new security things where you had to wave your badge to get through it, and Dan Patrick didn't have his with him, and he just yelled, "I'm only the face of the network" as he went past it. <laughs> <Was> <laughs> Which it even if he meant it, he. <laughs> his delivery would still be one of the funniest things ever to me and i say that as a compliment that story yes. not not to call him out because he's kind of kidding but he's also not which is perfect dan patrick the perfect combination of of confidence and humor um which is why i've always liked him so much okay when i went to radio row the, the what it inspired in me was do not be at one of these tables when you're in your late 50s i remember this moment miami
1: Twenty twenty. You showed up for like five minutes. And then you were like Kadarius Tony running the punt back on Sunday afternoon trying to get out of there. Well you were just like, I'm out.
0: No. Don't want to get pulled in to any well here, Here's what I don't like though is when people show up to it going, I don't want to be here. It's like you showed up. You were here and <laughs> I I tape my podcast. I actually taped with Woge that day. And then I think I did Slow News Day. So there was a day there where I had to be there. But um My, my, my dislike of it is how many people show up and then are annoyed that they're being bothered. Are they really (laughs) annoyed though, Ryan? Yeah. Well, my thing is like, don't, don't act like if you, you're the one that came here. So if you don't want to be here, leave, like don't, what'd you think was going to happen today? So you're arguing that they go, that's part of the, that's an act. Yes. Okay. In
1: almost every case. And I saw it happening in real time. Give me an example.
0: Give me your best story from last week.
1: Well, there's this whole class of people that host shows on Radio Row and then spend the rest of the day going on other people's shows. I don't quote Donald Trump a ton, Ryan, in my work, but it was kind of a swamp. A sports media swamp, if you will. Just kind of a permanent class of people that were always talking. And, you know, Mad Dog was doing people's shows. He did my show there. I said Trey Wingo, you know, is coming off the thing. Kenny Mayne, they're walking around doing it just—it was just people doing shows all the time. And I understand there's some commerce that needs to be done. You know, your employers want to be done, but at some at some point, you just like doing shows. You like doing hits, and the whole idea—if you're kind of the mid-level network guy and you're wandering around and you're
0: turning people down for interviews—how
1: many times does that happened in
0: your life? What a great day! I didn't even think about that. Like I am going to go there and turn some shit down. Massive ego boost. I am just, I am totally booked. I am sorry, I just got to go.
1: I am sorry, you know, nerdy football podcast. I just don't have ten minutes. How many times does that happen to you? It's got to feel good.
0: That's great. I didn't even, I didn't even think of that. Like, hi, yeah, we got Randy Scott. He's here with Legos. <laughs> the plugging is that. just
1: my favorite part, too. By the way.
0: What? I could say that about Randy because we are, we are friendly. So instead of, I was trying to pick somebody that would get the joke. But what were so, you saying?
1: Yeah, tell me what you're doing with Legos. <laughs> That's the question. <laughs> and the, you could just hear the radio host die like halfway through that question. You know, give me, give me Super Bowl memories. Let's talk about the matchup. And then just halfway through, just dead. What are you doing with Legos?
0: Oh, got to ask. I'll tell you right now, and I like Jake Glazer. We, we were neighbors for a while. Really good neighbor. Invited me over a few times. But when you book Glazer, be ready. Because you're only doing what he wants. He is the most... He is the run game of Radio Row. Like, early Cowboys. We'll, we'll prop Emmett Smith back up. Like, we booked him. Then he brought somebody else. And then he was only talking about the thing that he was talking about. We Like, we try to get a couple of football questions in. Nope, not doing it. And cannell and I, like, we got our asses kicked for eight minutes. Just at, and Jay got up, was like, "All right, man, good seeing you." And then Danny and I looked. at I was like, I don't, "What just happened?" We're like, we were on, we were on Jay Glazer time. Is what just happened, which I respect. I think back on that and be like, you know, he just showed up. We had Tebow once show up with a sleeveless thing, and he was eating avocados just out of a bowl the whole time, and he was like, "I'm here." On, About avocado, it's like, all right. Do you think you're going to play quarterback again this year, though? He's like, man, do you know how many protein, how many grams of protein it's just in one avocado? (laughs) And then you know, of course, there's somebody behind him from avocado, and you're like, fucking hey. So that was, I think that was the last show I ever did. Was was sixteen or seventeen with Cannell? The beginning of seventeen, I think, is what it would have been, and then. Uh, I did Radio Row, the Miami, and then obviously everything's kind of messed up since. But yeah, I mean, for me, now with the trade deadline before the Super Bowl these last two years, good luck. I, you know, this thing is, you're dropping like the busiest 48 hours of my year right before the Super Bowl. So I, when I was in Arizona, I didn't do anything.
1: I was going to ask you this. Do we think it's a good idea for the NBA to drop trade deadline
0: into Super Bowl week? No, I understand why they did it. You know, they've been very accommodating to the players here, uh, especially considering everything's that gone on the last couple of years. But part of that was, you know, starting it earlier, having more gaps in between the less back-to-backs. I mean, NBA has done everything you could ask for them. They give them a spring break around all-star break. And then part of that led to, depending on where you were in the game thing, you know, your your season calendar versus the real calendar, they moved it up. I don't like it. I'm being selfish about it. I think there was some... C- conversation about like oh the nba must love this having all these headlines and dominating it and these shows they're live from arizona have to talk about the nba trade deadline because durant just got traded i think all of that is the most worthless bullshit ever these these fake chips that people stack up where it's like oh they got them talking about it you know i just yeah. don't know like if there, is there a check involved if there's no money involved i don't really know we're the value. I think it's all make-believe ego stuff that doesn't even really matter. I would rather it be a couple weeks after. I don't like it. I think you could live on your own. You actually wouldn't be caught in some of the Super Bowl stuff with it. I totally get why they did it. I'm not passionate about it one way or the other, and obviously I'm selfishly motivated by the overlap. So I, I love
1: sports radio segment scoreboard. Yeah, I bet Roger Goodell and those 113 million viewers you're about to have, they were, they were pissed we did a Durant segment,
0: <laughs> sure. uh, so we're on the same page with this. like people smart people say it all the time, and I'm like, well, it doesn't it doesn't fucking mean anything. It's like the old Ravel stuff of like Butler getting to the final four is hundred and eighty million dollars in awareness revenue. like, okay, well, can I take like ninety million <laughs> like where's where's my check? It doesn't mean anything it's it's all bullshit. And so, uh. When, like, the first time I heard somebody say, like, you know, bad news being released late on a Monday, or, you know, excuse me, late on a Friday, then something else worse happens on Saturday, right? So something transactional happens that the team doesn't want to have to deal with. They release it on Friday, then something even worse happens on Saturday. And then the guy comes up to you and goes, you know, I'll tell you who's real happy is the, is the thing on Friday about what happened on Saturday. The first couple of times I thought that was actually interesting. I thought, <laughs> but now I don't like, yeah, man, this is, this is what it's, how it gets done. So I, whatever small little ego victory lap the NBA could have for having a bunch of Durant segments on shows that would have only been doing the Super Bowl, okay, I guess I get your point. I just don't feel like it's a real equitable thing. Not at all. Can I tell you my best uh, Radio
1: Row experience? Please. Jim McMahon. Jim McMahon. He's a guy. He was a Wednesday guy. But here's the thing. Jim McMahon is not watching football these days. And he did six and a half hours of Radio Row. Okay. So let's let's think of the Rosillo interview here. We do 85 Bears. We do Super Bowl Shuffle. Maybe we're doing the after effects of football if we don't want to get too grim. But, you know, you probably throw something in there. How are you feeling these days? But he would not answer questions about current football players. Like a Chicago reporter came up to him and was like, what do you think of Justin Fields? He's like, I have no opinion. I got nothing. (laughs) So what are you doing with Jim McMahon for six and a half hours? (laughs) He's not watching football.
0: Yeah. I, I know it from, I know it from, I think as, as well as anybody on the, on the broad spectrum, you know, a radio station in Boston that nobody listened to doing radio row, Houston, Jacksonville, um, and credit to everybody back in those days for trying to make us feel like a real show and a real station. You know, we were sporting news. They'd cut a ton of people. They laid a bunch of people off. There was only three of us left that were doing a local show. That was like a real show, you know? And, um, Anthony Pepe was our, our marketing guy who then they made the host of the show. This is how bare bones it was getting. And Pep would make sure we all felt like we were still a real show. And, you do that Monday through Friday grind and you would be so fucking pumped. You're like, "Wait, we can get <laughs> Phil McConkey. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony Munoz. Oh, uh, Anthony 10? Munoz is is an all-timer." And then, yeah, and then you're on South Beach, you know, 6 years later I'm on South Beach with Van Pelt at the ESPN stage. And that's when you're like now don't want him don't want that they can come to us no phoners doesn't matter (laughs) and now look now i think zoom and and podcasting has changed has changed a lot of it uh without it maybe you know maybe i would be you know setting up a desk and and having a stage and making all sorts of demands and saying i need this and i I need this kind of presence or whatever i don't i just kind of like doing my thing but um I, I love how much you love it. All right, so let's let's go back then. You had Chris Mad Dog Russo. You had Mike Felger on, which is a really kind of personal thing to me because I grew up listening to Mike and the Mad Dog, even though I was a huge Boston fan because I just liked that show better than the EEI show. I worked with Mike Felger. I actually tested with him to be his permanent co-host at the first ESPN affiliate in Boston, which was very short-lived, and then he ended up over um, at the FM station and now has the number one show in the city. So... Listening to you talk to this, why would, why was it that those two were so interesting for an entire episode of the press box? Russo kind of speaks for himself just because he's been around so long. He's kind of the mayor of radio row.
1: And I just love asking him about the mechanics of sports radio. You know, what's, what's the worst month? What are you, what are you doing the week after the Super Bowl, Chris? And after the interview, he gets up and goes, Brian, you always want to learn about the radio. That is the reason I talked to to this guy he wants to learn about the radio. Just, just just the guy I want to talk to felger to me and you'll you'll be even better on this uh than I could ever be it's just the approach he takes to Boston sports radio like you know if you hear to hear him tell it it's all about like I talk about what happened last night in this very very particular way and if I got to be number one, there was a moment in that interview. I was like, "Yeah, you destroyed Wei." He's like, "Well, I wouldn't say destroyed." I'm like, "Yeah, we're, we're sports radio. We're gonna we're gonna lay up here. We're gonna." <laughs> oh, you just gently overtook them in the ratings to get a 24 share or whatever you had in the spring. Um, it's the approach and this whole idea of here's how we talk about sports, um, which is something you do all the time, which is something I do all the time on different topics how do what's my approach how do I land this plane and it was to me it was totally fascinating
0: yeah I look I don't have a bad word to say about Felger I loved working with him at Comcast Uh, you know I was hustling whatever shift you had for me that $200 check was huge and so that also meant if I did the six and I did the 10 I get 400 bucks that also meant that Felger who you know the funny thing is people think I'm unfriendly I didn't have much to do. I'd watch the game, but then I'd stop in and talk with him in his office. And he, he had like, after 10 minutes, he was over it. it. didn't matter who it was. He didn't want to sit there and talk. He didn't, he didn't want to like, you know, whatever. I'm in my late 20s, a little bit older. You know, he was starting a family. Um, here's a Felger. Because Felger is like impossibly honest. Impossibly honest. Like he's not, we could talk about the show and his approach and how different our approaches are. Uh, but I'll never forget like one time, you know, he married Sarah Underwood local newscaster, but he knew who she was. And I was like, you know, how did you, uh, how'd you meet her? Which is essentially like a guy asking another guy, like, how'd you pull that off? And he was like, I think she was at a low point, honestly. <laughs> and I went, okay. And I don't even think he was trying to be self-deprecating. He was just like, eh, I don't know. I was like, yeah, but you know, like you, you got a cool job, you're on the air, you know, you don't think that and I'm in, my, again, you understand, like, I'm in my late 20s, so I'm still kind of thinking of, like, you know, if you're talking to the opposite sex, you have something cool, like, hey, what do you do? Oh, well, I'm on TV, and I, and I do all these different things. And I was like, do you think, you know, maybe her interest in it? I hope I'm not, like, I, I don't think he would care about me talking about any of this, because it's more about him. And I was like, you don't think that that was appealing? That, you know, you have this, he was like, what are you talking about? It's like, oh, the pads, you can't block the build." <laughs> like he was like i have the dumbest <laughs> fucking job it's not remotely appealing there's nothing attractive about what and that kind of got me into his head about like the way he is he knows he's kicking ass but he's i don't know he's he's nicer about it with that than almost any other topic because he's incredibly negative like whenever i'm back home and i listen and I listened to Boston Sports Talk Radio, which is really at one point what I thought I'd be doing five days a week. And then to see everything that had happened with them and kind of where I was positioned at the time. And, and at that point, I was at ESPN, so I didn't really want to go backwards. But I was like, I don't even know if I could ever do this anymore. So it was kind of funny where he was like, we just always want to find a way to be negative and be critical, even if good things are happening. And I thought to myself, like, what, what an awful four hours every day. And, and he loves it. And we were very different. And I'll I'll tell you, like when I tested for him or with him, it was a really weird deal. The place was fucking not run well. It was a mess. Uh, It was I'd done a month. It was the Friday before the weekend. I didn't even know if I was coming in on Monday. I had to call the program director to be like, am I coming back in on Monday or is this thing run its course? And they're like, yeah, we don't really like the way you do stuff. I was like, "Okay, fine. I just needed to know. And so Felger and I, I think it was this is what probably ended it was the Sox had blown a game the night before, classic bullpen meltdown, whatever. He opens the show, goes off. You can't do this. You should have signed this guy. This manager's an idiot. How do you do this? How come not this right-hander instead of the left-hander? He goes on and on. And he just turns to me and I was like, I don't know, it's May. Like 20 more of these are going to happen. We go to commercial and he just looks at me exasperated and he goes, I don't know how you do the job that way, man. <laughs> <laughs> I go, I, I can't do it any other way than how I honestly feel about it. Like, yeah, the bullpen let him down, but there's other stuff we don't really know. He goes, how do, we, how do you do it? How do you do six months? Going, that doesn't mean anything. He's like, how do you do six months your way? He's like, I can't. He's like, Nobody does it that way. You can't do it that way. You can only do it this way. And that was the end of our partnership. But I do love the guy, and I think he's awesome at his job. I just wouldn't <laughs> want to do it that way, and he wouldn't want to do it my way, right?
1: No, and every second for him, right, has to be invested with something, with edge, with meaning. We can't meander. That's the It was a great moment with me. We're sitting on Radio Row. We have a little ringer table there. It was just me and him, and he goes, "You know what a podcast is?" Because somebody had told me. Ask him about podcasts. Of course, because I love to hear what sports radio guys think about what we do. And he goes, You wanna know what a podcast is? And he puts his feet up on the ringer table, literally up in the ring. He's like, you know what I watched on TV last night? Let me tell you what I watched on TV last night. What were we talking about again? I mean, just absolute contempt for the form and for the reasons you're saying. Like, what what are you doing? What are you doing telling me, talking about what you watched on TV the last night for five minutes? Where's the intensity of this? Right? Where's the feel? Where's the seven amazing minutes before we get to that low T Center commercial? so we can get the audience back after the break it's just it to me fascinating part of the reason i love radio row i I love those kind of interviews where you're just like
0: wow okay interesting yeah look as is, is a much longer term radio guy i don't feel like i'm being defensive of podcasts because i get it but when i'm in the car and it's like oh you're taking calls for four hours today really <laughs> that was the idea right Hey, Falga, I think, you know, Peyton Pritchett, you know, he should be statin' over smart. He's a better shooter. You know, I think he's a better fucking leader, you know, whatever. Oh, okay. Like, the number of calls that I've ever heard in any city on, where I've gone, the, what's the percentage of calls where I was like, you know what? Good point. I hadn't thought of that. So, that to me at this stage, like, I would never, but I can, look. Felger hating podcasts is the least surprising thing ever. So to branch this back out, you know, so this doesn't become too much about, you know, the, the Boston part of it is, do you think there's such a hard and fast pivot to podcasting that we've lost the appreciation for live radio?
1: No, n- nobody on Radio Row would let us forget the appreciation for live radio. You know, looking around, oh, it's Jim Rome. Hey, what's he doing over there? You know, it's a kind of a Disneyland quality to Radio Row, which by the way I love too. There's Mad Dog, there's Romy, you know. There's there's Doug Gottlieb pulling a roller suitcase. Wow, what is this? I'm right in the middle of everybody right here. Um, and I think there are lessons that inform it, right? Calls in 2023, it would kill me. It kills me when I listen to radio and hear that stuff. Uh, sports updates every five minutes kills me when I listen. You know. But then I think, me as a mere podcaster, when I talk to those guys. They're, they're always have something interesting to say because they figured this out right in a different medium. And it's like, whether it's urgency, whether it's a way you talk about things, whether it's coming in and making sure that everything you do has a purpose rather than just sort of wandering into a segment and be like, this is about Patrick Mahomes. No, no, no. What is it about Patrick Mahomes that you're going to say? I mean, to me that when I need to reappreciate sports radio, which is a medium I grew up with, I love it. Um, It's that right that these dudes just know how to talk about stuff and have figured it out, and you know, and can we can all whatever whatever you know novice podcaster like myself. Whenever I listen to that I learn
0: something. Do you like it less now that you've done it? Because I mean, you the on air part for you, I imagine, really impacts the way you then feel about covering the people that do it. Right, makes me appreciate it more. I think
1: when I listen to bad radio now or a bad podcast, I'm like, I know exactly what happened. I understand that the co-hosts weren't on the same page, that they're not talking to each other. They're just doing monologues. And so we get monologue one followed by monologue two followed by monologue three, because I've done that. Oh, they're just, I, I listen to a bad podcast. I'm like, Oh, that guy's just trying to sound smart. He's not, he's not, he's not listening to his co-host. He's not communicating. He's just like, here are seven things to make me sound really smart. Okay. Great. Congratulations. You get an A plus in uh, football today. Well done. Um, so I recognize bad, but then when I hear it done really well, I'm always like, oh wow, that was really good. You know, that was awesome. That was it. So I think it's probably given me a new appreciation, of anything.
0: Yeah, the monologue is a really good point. Cause I think when first take was going through stuff, I would be like, "Wait, like, how is the show formatted now? You go seven minutes, and I go seven minutes." You know, because I remember when I was first getting involved and talking to some of the TV people at ESPN, and you know, trying to find a way to to be on some more shows. Um, Kevin Wilds, who's now on the air at Fox, who's a really, really smart television person, but he was behind the scenes, and I remember one of the lessons he taught me. He goes, "You know, when we watch PTI." This is when they were still trying to figure out like how to make beetle and, and Cowherd like be the best they could be right like that was there was this branch of coaching underneath the horowitz crew jamie hordes like that group was really good with just the way they approached the on-air people that they were working with like they they took pride in trying to make everybody as good as they could possibly be it was weird because there was like this offshoot of like how do you get in with those guys because they seem to have a completely different approach to like coaching and and wanting everybody to be the best as opposed to like sometimes you felt like there was resentment as an on-air person you know like wait what the fuck's going on here like what are you pissed at me that you're a producer like like we all made decisions man like i so kevin wilds had told me he goes you know one of the great things about pti is we count handoffs they can be just as simple as, as will bond going that's right tony or whatever and those mild interruptions—interruptions interruptions where you're not taking over the conversation—you're interrupting just to be heard from, to break up the monotony of the other person making their point. And on top of everything else, we're we're looking at a clock there, and they're what a minute to m- barely ever having two-minute little lineups there. And they were like, we counted in the course of like, you know, a two-minute segment, they had sixty-one handoffs, where they counted a handoff as any time the other person made a noise. And that was the goal, to have all of these shows. And so I know I'm guilty of it because I do so much solo stuff, too. On the monologue part, I can be like, okay, I'm just going and going and going because it's my own habit in the way that I do most of my stuff on my own. But that was something I never appreciated until I was doing it or trying to do it and then being coached by somebody that actually understood it in a way that very few people, I think, work with talent.
1: So it's a subtweet of all of us, and it's a note to all of us who do this. Without commercials, without a clock that we're watching. It's like, make one point. Don't make seven points. Just make one point. Unless you're monologuing. You know, you start the show for 20 minutes. Right? Yeah, you're I can't, I can't follow
0: that one, unfortunately. Oh, but
1: okay. Everybody but Ryan <laughs> Rosillo, when he's doing his monologue. I just always tell people, because I hear this on, by the way, you know who did this at the beginning of the year? Greg Olson. You come out of a replay and like, here's seven interesting things about this replay. Like, nope. I need one. I need one thing. And he tightened himself up over the course of the season, but that applies to all of us. Like just say one thing and the mic's coming back to you. And then you can make point number two later.
0: Yeah. Perfect way to end this. Uh, do you have anything else? I'm hand, I'm doing handoffs. Okay. Little Noises. Let you know. I'm here. Hey, mm, little, mm. I was like, mm, that's mm. a handoff. We like watch the tape. I was like, that's a handoff. We're like, yeah, it's a handoff. Uh, but it, also speaks to like the subconscious part of you that enjoys pti for as long as people have they're like oh that that relationship is going to be damn near impossible to ever replicate um brian you're the best i appreciate it for those who want to hear more on the business and so many other things too not just on this you check out the press box podcast with brian curtis thank you my man great to see you ryan This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. When it comes to your fee, eBay's got your back. When you see the blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, that means real experts are checking your sneakers, every stitch, down to the sole. They'll even smell them because nothing says fresh like the scent of real kicks. So kick back and relax from the drop to your doorstep. eBay doesn't play games with your sneaker game. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal with eBay Authenticity Guarantee. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Bi. It's Wonder Water. So I was wondering what made Bi so great, and it's actually pretty simple. Bi has antioxidants, electrolytes, and no artificial sweeteners, and the flavors are delicious. For me, it has to be Bi Zambia Bing Cherry. So for flavorful hydration, choose Bi. It's Wonder Water. Learn more about Bi and discover all of the exotic, bold flavors at drinkbi.com. You want details? Bi.
2: I drive a Ferrari. 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required.
0: Life Advice, life advice Rr at gmail.com. Okay, we have one um, that's a little dated but it still applies. Valentine's Day Caper, 5'11", 175, former college soccer player with a body match. I'm trying to finally put some meat in my bones v- via Jeremy Scott Fitness. Great workouts, fully endorse. Uh, look, we're huge Jeremy Scott Fitness fans here. Um, we've already talked about him and it actually got a little awkward, so we're going to keep it moving. I live in a major U.S. city, and about a month ago, I went online to get a reservation for me and my girlfriend's favorite restaurant. No, not crazy expensive, but awesome place and hard to get in. When I booked the reservation, I wasn't thinking about Valentine's Day specifically, rather just trying to get a date on the books for a nice dinner in a few, uh, few weeks out. Wow, this guy's a real planner.
2: Wasn't Here that a you. Tuesday? Yeah, whatever. You, you, a few weeks out on a Tuesday? Okay.
0: I don't know, dude. Valentine's Day? Brutal. Yeah,
2: it's, it's, it's the 14th, and it's a Tuesday, so you just had no idea.
0: My, this, one of my, favorite nights of, r- one of my favorite nights of tuesday one of my all time favorite nights of r 10 was the best all right coincidentally uh, the last day they were accepting reservations for online happened to be Valentine's. Uh, me and the old lady never do anything fun for the holiday, so I figured it'd be as good as excuse as any to go out to a nice dinner. I booked the reservation and off we go. About a week later, I get a text from the restaurant giving a heads up that for Valentine's Day, the restaurant would be doing a price fix menu for $85 per person. I figured that's about what we'd spend on the dinner anyway, so I didn't think twice about it. Fast forward to the night of, dinner's great, and when the bill comes, the person who I believe to be the owner, or at least the manager of the restaurant, brings the check. He tells us that the dinner was prepaid on online. We only owe the balance of the corkage fee for the wine that we bought. I hadn't remember prepaying, but having made the reservation four plus weeks ago, I didn't think twice about it. We paid the small fee and went home. So this is where the whole planning thing comes in. He's four weeks out being like, you knew deep down right then and there, you didn't pay for that dinner, by the way. But you're thinking, okay, maybe there was a chance. That night after checking my credit card statement, it became clear I never was charged for the prepaid dinner fee. I think what may have happened. Is that there was some sort of glitch in the system between making the reservation be- before they had declared the Valentine's price fix menu, sure. and that somehow we were not forced to put a card down. Clearly, the dilemma I face is: Do I call the restaurant and inform them of the mistake and offer to pay, or I take the freebie, chalk it up to a W, col- chalk it up to a W in the column, being fully ready to accept the next time I take an L, whenever that may come my way. I can't think of a better crew to give a ruling. All right, nobody, nobody would pay for that dinner. Like we can yeah, sit here and tipped, talk about, right? It.
2: You tipped it out, so that, that that karma's there, right? Yeah, of course you tip, but
0: there's there's no way, like we could get into it and say, hey, it's a small business, potentially, eight restaurants, like, yeah, okay, nobody would nobody would call them back after being told it was free. Uh, zero is a low number; it's not much higher than zero. People that would then say. I'm going to do. So I don't, I don't think you, even though, you know, I think everybody wants to put all these things in the same bucket going back to the Chipotle sauce dilemma, which by the way, the last Chipotle I went to, they did have the little plastic ramekins for you to go hot sauce to go if you wanted to. I don't know if it was the podcast. It's changing the world, but sometimes we like to think it is. In this one, this is a different category of things altogether. I don't think you need to feel bad about this. I think it is a W in the column. This I isn't mean, you,
2: even a caper. This is a, this is a yeah. small lottery win, guy. This is you're like one in a million. This is a small lottery win. This is not a caper, just so you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of like what's what's the counter. All right, if you knew the owner of the restaurant, okay, fine, that's different altogether. Uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't know. As everything, we always get follow ups, and people will try to present some argument that we didn't think of. And you know, there are times you're like, oh, I hadn't really thought about that. And there's other times it's like, actually, that was addressed. In this one, I, I think it's such an overwhelming number of people that would go, yeah, dude, that's just a win. That's just a win. So I don't think there's really much to add to that.
2: Yeah, me neither. I think I'm okay with all the you're a bad guy uh, response to this because that's all right. Sometimes you just got to win one and some people go without winning for a long time. So um, I, hope, I hope that boosted your spirits, pal. Good luck.
0: Okay, uh, what else do we have here? Uh, wedding deal. 34, 6'3", In shape, lift five days a week. Wore a Mahomes jersey, the Super Bowl. Brag. Uh, I was told I should be in the tunnel warming up, so I'm feeling pretty good off that high. Hey, that's what six three two thirty will do for you. Good friends of mine got engaged a couple months ago. That's if you're working out at 230. Uh <laughs> And quickly planned for a destination wedding in Mexico. The bride texted me for my email, physical address, to send an invite. A few days later, received an email from her with booking information for the resort and the date of the wedding, November 4th. After repeated texts from her about rooms booking up in their block, I decided to go ahead and book my room. I early days, I didn't even know what they were talking about. I'm like, room block? What? <laughs> Book now? There's a good chance I did not even show up to it. What?
2: I think there's a red roof somewhere around there. You, I might I might just take my chances.
0: <laughs> you're calling the groom like a week out, being like, dude, hotels, it's kind of dicey. You didn't get it on the block. <laughs> what? What? Yeah, we had a block. It's a special rate. Oh, Did any of those opening up? Yeah. <laughs> Six months ago, dickhead. I was so confused by any of the organized adult stuff. All right. So anyway, he books the room for two people through the wedding planner. I recently started dating somebody and early results say it could turn into something, but I'm trying not to get ahead of my skis. As such, I left the information of the second person in my room blank for the time being, figuring no big deal. I'll tell them later once it gets closer to the wedding. When you RSVP. Right. The wedding coordinator followed up with me a few days later on Friday saying I had to put someone's name down. I didn't get back to her over the weekend and my room was never reserved as part of the block. (laughs) The bride followed up with me about new pricing since my room wasn't booked and the block got filled and that I should only need the new pricing for individual occupancy of the rooms. When I questioned that saying, I had booked a double occupancy room, she responded by telling me, quote, you can totally bring somebody with you, of course, just can't guarantee that they can get into the wedding with you since we pay per head for that, LOL. That actually isn't an LOL, but it was like a softening it's a it's like me, yeah, yeah, it's like me with exclamation points now, like well, I'll just go throw one in there every now and then all my so emails like have exclamations now. yeah, it just presents you as like I just feel like all my text responses forever would just be like, is this guy a dick? and sometimes the simple answer would be yes, but I don't know. I just have
2: it. have a good weekend without a without with with a period, without an exclamation that almost seems like a diss to me now if it's just like have a good weekend period i don't know i pretty pretty much need that explanation point just be like what the fuck is this guy trying to say to me
0: yeah because when you just answer stuff sometimes and then it'll be like oh that and it will be like i guess i came out bad over text what a complete sentence (laughs) could answer the question
2: (laughs) yeah great great see you later oh shit
0: (laughs) what a social reject this guy is he he responded efficiently you know i've been throwing in soft haws now for like a year but (laughs) i've noticed uh, yeah (laughs) I don't know. I just feel like I had to adapt. To everybody else, they don't live in the same city as me uh, for at least the last two years, and I didn't. They didn't ask if I was seeing anyone, um, or not to know. I wouldn't need a plus one. I know weddings are expensive and space may be limited, but am I wrong to think it's a bit odd to not get a plus one to a destination wedding, bringing someone and them not being able to eat dinner or drink with us at the wedding seems <laughs> insane to me. This is an all-inclusive resort for the record. Is there any way to push back nicely without offending them? I wanted to go to the wedding to be there for a couple who doesn't love, uh, because who doesn't love a few days in Mexico? Should I offer to pay for my plus ones portion? Can't cost too much more than two, three hundred bucks. Uh, and it would be worth that to avoid awkwardly watching all my couple friends make out in the pool the whole weekend. <laughs> yeah, this seems kind of weird. I, you know, the, the plus one thing for dudes. I mean, obviously I have more experience being a dude. Um, Then the other side, I imagine it's it's the same for females as well, but, oh yeah, a couple of times the weddings, like I just, you know, I wouldn't, I, I, you know, it depends on kind of where you're at. Like if you're dating somebody, you'd bring them, right? It was pretty much, it would have been weird for you to go to the wedding without that person. I think there was one wedding when I was dating somebody, I was like, I don't think you want to come to this one. She was like, yeah, cool. No problem. Um, but there was other times I brought her to everything and then there was a solo stretch of weddings. And then I think there was one time I just was hanging out with somebody and then I asked my buddy, I was like, hey, is it a plus one? He's like, well, are you serious about this person? I was like, no. He's like, yeah, well, then I don't want that person at my wedding. I was like, oh, that's like a you thing? It's not a me. Isn't that like my determinant? Can I be the one that (laughs) decides whether? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm into her now, but I can't promise you anything. Like, what if we break up? Do I have to mail you a check for 200 bucks six months from now? So (laughs) the plus one thing, the cost part of it. I, I kind of like destination weddings and I also think that destination weddings are a mechanism to weed people out. Uh, and that's definitely the case for some of them. But specific to this one, you may have an out on like, hey, I booked it as a as the two and now I'm a one. So like, what can we do here? I, I would actually follow up and be like, what are my options? I'm dating somebody. What are my options? I know she's planning a wedding. So you kind of want to, Avoid asking guest related questions to the the bride in this case, if that's who you're closer to with this but i I think a very not you know you might want to massage it a bit here, but I think a direct normally my rule on this would be like just leave her alone, just leave the bride alone, but this is weird I do think this is kind of weird now again, some would suggest that hey, the wedding it's expensive, the headcount keeps going on and on and on uh i would I would be willing to just say. If you just ask, be like, okay, so I'm not a plus one, just so I have that clear. And then she has to answer that like specific direct part of it. Then you have your answer. Then the the second part of this comes down to like, is the girl you're dating going to be annoyed because other people have restrictions that shouldn't happen. And if she's annoyed, then maybe she isn't the one on this one. You could fly her down. Is she really, really hot? And she's going to be at a Mexican resort by herself (laughs) while you're at the wedding and doing all that stuff. That's probably not going to go fucking awesome. For you. So if she's, you know, not distractingly hot, but still attractive, maybe you'll get away with it there and be kind of fun. Maybe then she'll mingle over the reception and it's not that big of a deal. Like for you to pull that off to be like, I want you to come to Mexico. She wants to go to Mexico, but I've got this wedding thing I have to deal with. And for her to ride along with that and the awkwardness of not being at the ceremony, which nobody wants to go to anyway. So she'll probably be fine. Um, Is she a big drinker? Is there a chance she gets completely off the rails and gets hammered by herself because she's so bored, which can happen. Uh, But if she's cool with all of it, it might be like a funny deal. And then the reception just ends up being a free for all. and Everybody goes to the bars. You're probably going to spend a lot of time with her anyway. Okay. But if you're trying to execute the second part of this, if you get the no to the follow up on the plus one, she has to have. You've know, you got to know the full scouting report on her deal because this could be an absolute game breaker where you get on the plane and everybody's like, hey, totally get it. You do your thing. I'm just going to relax. I love Mexico. I just started this new (laughs) book. It's going to be awesome. And then like 24 hours later, she's going, I just thought we still like would have more time together. And we don't. And like I kind of like had certain expectations. And then all of a sudden you're like, fucking A. So this sucks. It's kind of sucks for you here. I don't think you even did anything wrong. I can't think. now, right, Kyle. Like, no, it's
2: a. The, it's a bit of a gray thing? area, though. No, I mean, yeah, you you kind of messed up some, you know, some uh, online booking but he thing. Which,
0: did, uh, right? Well, he he kind of no, did, he he didn't. He left
2: something blank. It's like you didn't do anything wrong. If you were talk, if you were doing this over the phone with somebody, they would have booked you. But because you left some shit blank in some automated, you know code system right. it didn't put you through like it's not a normal person if on the other end of the line would have got this done for you but it's like a technical mishap sure so yeah i think there is some explanation you could do but it's a gray area right he said a couple months ago right he met this girl and it seems pretty well and this wedding's a couple months from now so they might even be coming up on like a year together by the time this wedding happens but you know some people are really i mean the one i mean my, i went to my first like real wedding as an adult uh this summer and that one dude was like telling us who gets a plus one, and who does it based on like, you know, some, all of us, a lot of us had girlfriends. Some of them had a girlfriend for like eight months. And he was like, that's not even a real girlfriend. She's not coming. And it was, people were like, whoa, you know, I was, I was fine either way. He, you know, he let me bring, uh, bring mine. Cause you know, we're about to get married and stuff, but you know, there were other dudes, there was one, two, a pair of brothers that were both really good friends with. He wanted to invite one brother and not the other. And I was like, so he was like, some people are really serious about that. I sort of just, for my things, I put, I know who's got like plus ones. I know who could bring one and would decide not to. So I just sort of on the on the addresses of my things that I just sent out my envelopes the other day, by the way, and uh, I just put like name and guest or just name and anyone can bring a plus one. I'm just hoping they don't, you know, ruin me by everyone deciding to bring a friend for this wedding. Um, But I think generally, like you just you take care of them in the gift, right? If you're if there's two people, your gift is twice as much, right? I mean, that's sort of like that's sort of what you do. So, um, you know, I think, I think a a good explanation, uh, maybe with the wedding planner might get you like somewhere and be like, Hey, listen, this is what happens. And you just explain everything away. Um, maybe, you know, that's a good way to not have to talk to the bride about money. Cause you know, she already sort of did that weird, awkward, like money's making things weird, LOL. You know what I mean? She's already uncomfortable with trying to tell you this, but, uh, you got, you just have to get her attitude on it. Like if she's like, like hard, no, I don't care what you say. I mean, you don't really have much wiggle room here, so I think you know it's it's still kind of unclear where this person is on 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 your plus one. It's like you know, a shy person would have just taken this info and been like, "Oh, sorry, she said no." But I think you do have a follow up here, and I would maybe try to go through the wedding planner uh, at first. But um, I think you, if you just explain this concisely, um, you might be able to you might be able to fix this. No, I would you do it? Would you bring your fiance? Would I bring mine? Yeah, I think I I think I have to at this point. Okay, but no, I mean,
0: say it was like, "Sorry, dude." Say I'm getting married in Cabo. I probably wouldn't get married there. Say I finally get married. It's Maui. Let's make it Maui. And I was like, "Sorry, Kyle, it's expensive. Like, I know things are going well, but it's not a plus one."
2: Well, for you, I'd be like, dude, you know, Lana, this is my first chance to hang out with Rossillo. I think I have to actually do it. But like, <laughs> it, it was, but like, if it was a different guy, like if it was Rudy, it would be different. <laughs> <laughs> If it was if it was Ceruti, I don't I don't know. I guess I guess yeah, I would tell her wait, if it was wait, like straight wait, wait, wait. up like that. Let's
0: let's play this out. Let's play this out. Okay, <laughs> let's let's eliminate. This is the first time I get to hang out with Rosillo. Uh, I decide to get married. I'm in Maui. It's like a four day retreat, and my wife's you know doing well, but she's she's in control. I actually I probably wouldn't marry that person, but whatever. And I'm like, look, dude, I'm sorry. Let's we're say you've lost keep, your mind.
2: <laughs> <we're> just
0: <laughs> I fly. Like, any juice I had of it just, it's gone, squeezed, squeezed dry. And
2: so <laughs> the boat ruined you. You're not making, that, you're not making any financial <laughs> decisions.
0: <laughs> she would be like, if this is going to happen, the first thing you're doing is get rid of that boat. I'd be like, you know, it's not going to be the first thing I get rid of. So let's, if I said to you, this is the, the, the question I'm trying to ask and get an answer to is if it was just non-negotiable, I'm not giving you a plus one. And then you said, well, I still get to go to Maui and the hotels are cheaper because I actually, you know, the booking people worked it out. I'm bringing my fiance. Would would she be cool with four days in Maui knowing that you're going to have like a wedding day
2: that it would she can go to? It would be up to her. And I'd be like, you got to be honest. I'm okay if you don't go. I'd rather you go. If you're going to be, if this is going to really, you know, boost your anxieties or whatever whatever it is, um, then, then I'd say don't go. I'd love to have you there. It's not like they're going to shun you for the rest of the three days. But uh, there is going to be that one day at home. Maybe you know. Maybe call your maybe call your sister and then call your grandma, and that'll that'll eat up like two hours of the day or something. I don't know. I think I, I would definitely give her the option. Uh, but also, she's not like somebody new who I don't know how she'd react. I'd be like, hey, if you if you don't like the fact that you're not important enough to you know, Rosillo uh, to be in this thing, if that will make you weird around this group for the whole time, I think that's totally fine to stay, and I'll get you a t-shirt.
0: I sense that you think you would be on the same page. And then once you got there, it might not be the same page.
2: Yeah. I'd actually be so relieved if she was like, no, it's totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. Totally fine.
0: It's a tough move. It's a tough move to pull off. And the reason I bring up the attractiveness is that it's, it's very simple. Like I remember one time going to a hotel deal where there was this pool and it was kind of like a scene and it was a well-known thing. So it was like what we were doing. And like, I went downstairs to get lunch to the room to like, cause I didn't want to eat the pool food. And so I was like, I'm just going to do this. I come back thirty. I come back (laughs) thirty minutes later, and she's surrounded.
2: (laughs) It's like a pack of hyenas,
0: (laughs) right? And I just go, you know, you get, you know, what you're getting. You know, you'd feel lucky at times that that somebody that desirable would would be in a deal with you, right? But, and I was like, what's going on? She's like, oh, this guy's a you know producer. I was like, yeah. No, I told him. I'm like, oh, okay,
2: great. He's a producer. Like, did you exchange
0: emails? Like yeah, we did. The guy was—he wanted your email too. Did he? Yeah. Okay. Cool. So I'm just saying, like, if it's (laughs) that level, right? If it's yeah, I know. It's always great when the guy asks. Like, no, I'll I'll get—I want to get in touch with you too. (laughs) like Do you? Do you really? You know. But if you're in Mexico and she's at that level and you're at a wedding and you come back and she's like, hey, I met Don Don who today Don Julio and you're like, I don't think that's his real name. uh (laughs) just be prepared for it. Just be prepared for it. Okay. Want to do one more? Yeah, let's do one it more.
2: It's a light more show. It's so. a
0: Yeah, there's no there was no opening. I I didn't know if I had a Clipper's Suns open today. I was I didn't I just didn't have it. I didn't have anything on Eric Bienemy. <laughs> it's like it just <laughs> uh, some of these other workshopping, bigger picture, non time sensitive ones, I I just I wasn't able to hash out and get an ending for them. So here you go. We'll give it give it another one to you. All right. What's up, guys? Recently graduated from a small liberal arts college in the South. I ran track and cross country. Broke four minutes in a mile. Shout out! Wow,
2: that's, cool, dude. That, that used to be impossible, right?
0: Yeah, decades ago. Uh, I now spend my days trying to lift weights and put on muscle because that's what every ex-endurance athlete wants, right? Anyway, I graduated from college not knowing what I was going to do in my life. I'd interviewed for different jobs, but nothing really stood out to me. I was just going to do whatever job, do whatever job, I guess. Uh, I interviewed for, was semi interested in, and got offered, of course. I started working for a big tech company last fall and cannot believe the money I make. <laughs> it's <laughs> awesome. right around 100000 And honestly, I feel a little guilty. It's not a sales job or anything, so the money is always coming in. It's not a demanding job by any means either. I just feel like there's more I should be doing. I don't know. Do you have any <laughs> advice on what to do? I don't know exactly what I'm asking, but I know I feel a little guilty having this job. How should I use my money as a 25-year-old with no student loans or debt? I have a girlfriend. I'm not ready to pros, propose to yet. What would you do in my situation? Just keep living, paying rent, etc. Love the pot. You know what I would do? Not write that fucking email ever.
2: <laughs> that was. Are fun. you we serious? Had this, we had this like two like two months ago. You were like, you know, nobody. Everyone always like wants more. Nobody. There's no guy out there who's like, I can't believe what they're paying me. And we just fucking found him. We found him. <laughs> we just fucking.
0: Maybe found that's him. it. Maybe this is the joke. If this is real shut up <laughs> yeah, it's is my advice up. to you <laughs> just fucking have a big smile every two weeks when you see it pop up on that direct deposit okay if you have no debt save it save as much as you can <laughs> also spend a good chunk of it too yeah Super get that ira care. popping yeah get that ira yeah the ira get that thing started up um You have a massive... The only thing I could say to you negatively is that if it's a big tech firm, how established, is it? Is it big or is it... We could all be out of here with leftover vests in six months. (laughs) Right? Right? Yeah. Right. You working for Bird Scooters? You know, like I'm just... I'm asking, (laughs) like, what do you mean by big tech? Solid? Just bank the money and be happy that you are doing this well and never share this with anybody don't <laughs> <Never>. feel guilty <laughs> Never. don't feel guilty like you know some of us have to win early most of us don't <laughs> some of us have to
2: yeah so, maybe that that first review just be like you know i really just think uh, I could use a little more responsibility but yeah don't go too heavy on that but yeah because you got a good thing going so maybe just at the end of the year just be like you know i think i could just have been hungry for a little bit more but that's it yeah, don't go crazy may,
0: that is good advice like to keep this train rolling <laughs> just make sure you uh you know you you present the illusion that you offer some kind of value every now and then
2: <laughs> yeah never be a problem it shouldn't be hard
0: <laughs> yeah never be a problem. Be, be the opposite of what most of us like are at our jobs just go like i'm gonna be the non-problem guy because i got none I got none. if your <laughs> only got problem got is feeling guilty about being overcompensated too early without any other concerns in life, just ride this wave of non-hassles, man, because they're coming. They're coming for all of us. <laughs> right. All right? And maybe you're too young to be more self-aware of what it is like to have a non-hassle few months as a fucking adult. <laughs> but I would make fucking T-shirts for this phase
2: of your life, OK? keep the karma good too don't do anything that's going to come back you know pay pay for that guy's valentine's day dinner (laughs) i'm
0: just (laughs) telling you man those letdowns they're coming (laughs) (laughs) enjoy this immensely (laughs) agreed not much else to add all right that's it for the pod brian rusilla podcast ringer spotify